we were able to meet children at their most vulnerable and teens at their most vulnerable moment and see them kind of overcome these obstacles that they never thought they could overcome at first. You're listening to Health Careers with Dr. Martin Podcast, the show that pulls back the curtain on what a career in health and wellness is really like. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Martin. And on today's episode, we're going to learn about what a child life specialist and professional is all about. Have you ever heard of what that profession is? I actually didn't learn about it until much later in my career. But we're going to talk with a specialist who is excellent at her job. And if you love or even like working with children, you should even consider this career or look into it at least because they really do help kids in a healthcare setting uh, in ways that would um, maybe surprise you. So with uh, this kid-friendly episode, <laughs> we're going to be talking with Caitlin Bear. She is a child life specialist and the child life coordinator for North Shore University Health System in and around Chicago. She received a Bachelor of Arts in Sociology at uh, North Park University and obtained her certificate Uh, from the University of California Santa Barbara program. She recently won an award and scholarship from the Society for Pediatric Sedation and is quite frankly just very passionate and excited about her career and her job. So before we jump into this conversation, I want to invite you to check out the new podcast Instagram account, which is Dr. Richard Marn. That's Dr. Richard Marn. And you can check out some of the posts that we have Uh, see some of the things that I'm doing professionally and personally, as well as check out some of the inspiring posts that are coming out. And of course, if you like what you're hearing on this podcast, please give us a rating on your uh, listening device. That would be very appreciated. Let's finally get into this conversation with Caitlin. We have Caitlin uh, Byer with us. Thanks, Caitlin, for joining us on this uh, episode. Yes, of course. Caitlin is a child life specialist uh, and you're in Chicago? Yes, I'm um, just north of Chicago in Evanston, Illinois. But All yeah, right. Chicagoland. <laughs> Chicagoland. And I'm yes. of course in New York. So um, thanks for joining us. You know, as I talked about before, before we got on, we started recording, you know, you're, as a child life specialist, I didn't even know your career existed until I was well into my career as a pediatric anesthesiologist. And I was very grateful that you guys were there, you know, one of your colleagues was there because it really helped the children kind of manage being in a hospital setting and even about to have surgery. And quite frankly, when I first saw, met a child life specialist, I was like, who is this person? Yeah. Um, you're not the parent. Uh, are you a cousin? <laughs> but you're dressed in like surgicals or at least, you know, a uh, hospital attire. And so anyway, I'm so happy you're coming on because mm-hmm. I knew about you because you won a 2020 award and scholarship from the Society of Pediatric Sedation, which we are both a part of. Yes. And that's how I came across you and your name. And I'm so happy that you won that. And congratulations. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, uh, and on top of that, you are a recent mother yourself, mm-hmm. which is yes. great. So congratulations. Thanks. So I was really hoping that we could talk about your career and how how that helps these kids because I think it's a really important role that a lot of people don't know about. I mean, I didn't even know about it until well into my career. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me what your profession basically does? Yeah. So as certified child life specialists, we are 
pediatric healthcare professionals who work together with children and families who come into the hospital for the first time. And we're able to help them through kind of navigate the hospital experience for the first time. So many children who enter the hospital, um, you never really choose to go to the hospital. It's always, (laughs) um, it's not, it's not usually planned. And so a lot of children and families, parents come in and are scared, not prepared, and um, just feeling really high levels of stress. And so we are trained to help them navigate that stress and help them cope through whatever the challenges of hospitalization or illness or whatever they're going through um, in order to make it a more positive experience and help them cope through it. So what age range do you take care of children? So my specific self, we take care of infant through teens, and sometimes we even get older, like young adults who are um, have developmental disabilities. So every age, uh-huh. <laughs> you name it, we probably care for it. So and how do you help these kids through these situations? So these you know children coming for surgery to the hospital, um, or maybe they're there for a as you maybe an IV placement. Yeah. These simple things that, you know, quite frankly, as a doctor, I don't comprehend sometimes what the child is sometimes going through. So how do you help these kids through that? So our background is basically has a foundation in child development. And so we use our those skills to kind of help guide and assess the child's understanding as they come to the hospital. And so a lot of the times we use play for the younger children. Um, to kind of assess, like, are they feeling scared about a certain procedure? We welcome them to our playroom upon arrival just to kind of see, um, you know, what toys they go to or if they are engaging in conversation with us or, you know, we get down at their level and kind of we have a medical play section of our playroom. So we kind of lay out some dolls and medical equipment and see what happens. Um, A lot of times you can see um, how that child is feeling just through their play. And so, that is really helpful in, um, in understanding how we can help them through their hospital stay. So the, a child comes, see, on the day of surgery, mm-hmm. do you often meet them before surgery? Yes. And, and, okay. and help get them used to a hospital setting like you just described? Yeah. So we, our hospital itself, our child life program has a surgery, um, pre-surgery tour that children can go on. Uh Um, and so parents who call in, it's on our website. Um, they can call, they just call me or my um, colleague directly and set up like a one-on-one surgery, um, tour. Um, and so that's, you know, a week before surgery, we can guide them through, like we show them the playroom, we show them where they walk to the operating room. Um, Obviously not like in the operating room. Right, right, right. But um, something similar like that. Yeah. So we- Kind of got a dry run. Yeah. So we kind of do that with um, different procedures at the hospital, but the surgery one is definitely one of our um, favorites and one that helps the parents kind of cope better and it allows the child to see what's going to happen before it happens to them. So they are able to kind of like, oh, this is where I go and this is where I check in and it helps them. Um, In terms of the day of, yes, we do meet them prior to their surgical procedure. So they arrive at the hospital usually two hours beforehand. So we have usually 30 minutes to an hour window of meeting them and kind of assessing their needs specifically. You know, if there's a three-year-old coming in for surgery and a 15-year-old, we're probably going to 
kind of see the three-year-old to kind of see, engage with them and see the worries that they're having first before the teen. But we use play, like I was talking about earlier, to, we invite them to our playroom and kind of I always say like, I'm a childlike specialist. I'm here to make sure that you understand why you're here today and also have a little bit of fun to blow some bubbles, play with Play-Doh, that kind of thing to kind of engage them and then kind of teach them the different steps that they're going to experience for surgery. So first you're going to be, we're going to play a little bit and then you're going to go on a ride on a bed that will take you to a room where you get to meet all of your doctors and nurses that get to take care of you today. And then we go into teaching them about anesthesia and the sleep medicine that they're going to get. And so that's specifically for a patient coming in for, you know, a procedure that day. But So you have to learn a lot about different medical procedures mm-hmm. and then you have to break it down, break it down in very mm-hmm. uh, language that the child can understand. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, what do you say when a kid has to come in for an IV? What do you tell them for something as simple as that? Yeah. So for an IV, an IV is a very common procedure that children get upon arrival um, to the hospital usually. And so a lot of times children walk into the hospital and you can hear them down the hallway saying, no shot, no shots, no shots, no shots. (laughs) And so as many people may know, there is a shot required for an IV. But the way that we help explain an IV to a child is a lot different than maybe, you know, someone just saying like, oh, it's just one poke and it's going to go in and, you know, you're going to be okay. Just get through it. Um, We tell them that you're at the hospital because your body is feeling sick um, and we have a special um, bendy straw that is going to go in your body to give your body water and medicine to help you feel better. Hmm. Um, and so kind of using language and descriptive words that help them, oh, it's just a straw. And we actually carry an IV catheter with the straw hmm. on, or most of us carry it on our ID badges. So the child can feel that it's just a straw. Because oh. um, many, even parents think that the needle stays in their arm. And so if you tell the child there is a small poke, but it's just the straw that stays in and that straw's job is to give your body medicine through the remainder of your hospitalization. And as soon as it comes out, we can let you know, you know, and it doesn't hurt when it comes out, that kind of thing. There, it must be a little challenging because obviously these kids are very nervous. Mm-hmm. And then you also have the parents that are nervous. Mm-hmm. And then you're also dealing with the healthcare professionals like the doctors and nurses. Yes. Would you say that's the biggest challenge of your job, just dealing with all that? Or are there other challenges of it that you find? Or like, what do you think is the biggest challenge of your profession? I think the biggest challenge is the fact that there's a lot of children who are coming in for procedures and kind of prioritizing who gets our services and who, you know, if three kids are getting an IV at once and I can't be at all three, kind of being able to empower the nurses to kind of provide that support that the child needs Mm. and not being able to be at all three. So I think day in and day out challenges kind of fluctuate, I guess. But I think that my specific team at my hospital, we work very closely together. So a procedure will not happen until one of us has usually met the child, not like a hundred percent of the time, but they try to have the child socialist meet with the child and the parents first. Cause if you're, if you have an anxious parent, um, which usually the parents are super anxious if the child is, yeah, yeah. you know, we're able to go in and kind of create a coping plan. So they are able to, that procedure may 
be more successful and the child will be more cooperative if they are know what's going to happen if we've played through the procedure before it's happened or, um, you know, have something like virtual reality to kind of distract them from the poke so they don't even have to see or hear anything. So, yeah. You know, that's funny. You mentioned the virtual reality because Mm -hmm. I think you introduced virtual reality headsets. Yes. Yeah, we did. To your um, institution. Mm-hmm. And and I think that helped lead to you winning that award that we yeah. alluded to before. Yes. Um, can you tell me how that helps a kid? And first of all, why you brought it into your 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 hospital, and how does that help a kid? This virtual ready headsets. Yeah. So so every year we ha- I have a few grants that we write and kind of we assess what our program needs for that year, how we can further the you know, the services we provide for our children. And back in 2018, virtual reality was just, it was pretty new in terms of the goggles that were, you're going to find them at Best Buy, but the ones specifically designed for pediatric patients um, were new. And so we received that grant and started implementing it um, during procedures, um, before procedures to kind of help if a child is feeling anxious, some children enjoy watching procedures. So yeah. enjoy watching an IV or a shot or a blood draw. Really? Yeah. It's their means of coping. Or it's their <laughs> way to go through it. Um, <laughs> but some are like, I want nothing to do with it. You know, I want to know what's happening, but I don't want to see or hear anything. And so we, these virtual reality goggles are designed specifically for pediatric patients who are feeling nervous um, or just scared before a procedure or if they're experiencing high levels of pain. Um, we've also used it for that. But our virtual reality goggles have, you know, 20 different experiences. So you can be swimming with dolphins or visiting the streets of London or flying through Iceland and having them focus on something else actually has been proven because we've asked um, after the procedure that a lot of the children don't even know the the poke or the feeling the pain is really? actually happening because they're so it's it's fully um, they're fully engaged in another environment right they're basically. totally distracted by what's going mm-hmm. on can yes. you is there a particular story where you think uh, virtual reality really helped one of your patients that come to mind and what they were going through at the time Yeah. So we have a lot of our ortho patients that experience, you know, pretty um, major surgeries. And so a lot of post-surgery is a lot of pain management that we have to work together with the Mm. patients to kind of overcome. And I use virtual reality with those patients a lot because a lot of times pain is different for everyone and everyone experiences different levels at different times and no no pain is the same. Right. And so a lot of times I have Specifically with the patient, he was a 16-year-old who had high levels of pain post-surgery, and he was- What kind of surgery was he, did he have? Um, It was a leg surgery, and he, I think he had broken his, like it was basically his leg was like in half, <laughs> and so Ouch. Um, it was pretty, pretty intense, Okay, and um, he was just trying to, we were trying to- um, help him kind of through the pain because we had medicine on our side, but it was still just his mind was like, I'm, I just had this surgery. I'm in pain all the time Mm. and there's nothing that will help it right now. Even the highest levels of um, medicine that we can give him. So I was able to kind of use the goggles at certain times of day when we had found 
him kind of experiencing higher levels of pain and he was able to refocus and kind of distract himself from that pain, you know, and at the end of when he was, um, on the wheelchair out of the hospital a couple days later, he was like, thank you so much for, you know, using virtual reality that really helped the pain and um, helped me distract from everything he was going through. So how did it feel taking care of him? It was amazing. I feel like teens are a lot more difficult to kind of get on their side Mm. um, because they're just teens and I love, they're actually my, one of my favorite populations to work with at the hospital. Um, yeah, (laughs) they're hard, but they're good. (laughs) They're softies too. Wow. Um, Teenagers saying thank you to you. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um, I feel like a lot of times even teens that walk in the hospital are like, Oh, I'm coming in for this surgery. I'm, you know, I'll be okay. And then a lot of times they're some of the most anxious patients. So um, taking care of him specifically and having him, giving him the tools um, and skills to independently kind of overcome his pain tolerance and experience with pain post-surgery um, with one of our, something as simple as a virtual reality device yeah. um, really helped him cope. And I feel like get through the hospital stay. I feel like his stay could have been twice as long if he didn't really um, have those coping skills and distraction skills for his pain levels. Um without that. So, uh, you know, I, I know we talked about some c- certain scenarios, Caitlin, but what is your typical day like? Like, how do you start your day? How does your day progress during a day? And how does it end up? Yeah. So one of the main reasons I love my job is that no day looks the same. Every mm-hmm. day is kind of different depending on, you know, our inpatients or outpatients that are coming in for surgery. A day in the life of a childish specialist like me, um, I go in and around 7 a.m. So a lot of child socialists start at all hours, but I'm an early morning child socialist. So I work just normal Monday through Friday, 7 to 3.30 hours. Okay. And I take a look at the list of inpatients because we are actually a mixture. I work on a unit that serves both inpatients, so children who are coming in um, and staying lengthy periods of hospitalization or children who are coming in for those day procedures that they come in. Yeah have surgery, go home usually that day or a couple days later. Um, so I take a look at the list and kind of prioritize my day. A lot of times surgeries um, are very early morning, as I'm sure you know, because you are an anesthesiologist. They yeah. start right at like 6.30 a.m. <laughs> and so I kind of, I usually meet the um, outpatients first. And so usually it goes in age order. So we see the youngest patients. So toddlers are usually first for surgery infants or toddlers, and then it kind of goes up during the day. Um, But I, like we were talking about earlier, for outpatients, we meet them upon arrival, assess their knowledge, see if they've been here before or have had surgery. And I teach them about what is going to happen to them that day. So we have a, an iPad preparation book that has pictures of each everything that they're going to experience or see that day. Um, And then we actually follow them to the next area, which is where they meet the anesthesia team, the doctor, the surgeon, um, and the nurses that will be with them. And we're able to be with them all the way through induction. And so we develop a coping plan with them and distraction for during their anesthesia induction. And so we are able to be at the bedside right at their head when they're falling asleep, which is usually for children, the scariest part of the day, right? because, you know, something as simple as a mask, an anesthesia mask is 
scary for a child if, if they don't know the purpose of it. So mm-hmm. that's why we introduced that in the playroom to them. Um, our masks smell like strawberries. So oh, we have them like smell it and pop bubbles and kind of um, familiarize them with that medical equipment. So when they see it, um, they aren't scared. Um, right, right. Yeah. So um, that's a lot of my day in the morning. It's very, um, I would say repetitive in the sense that it's meet the child, go to surgery with them, meet the next child, got it. educate them. Um, and then a lot of times the inpatients obviously are a huge priority as well. So the days that there are, I have a colleague that focuses on our surgery patients and then I am always focusing on our inpatients. So any new diagnosis teaching, so a child coming in for diabetes or a new Crohn's diagnosis or, um, you know, those common pediatric diagnoses that a child will not understand um, upon arrival, I yeah. I kind of focus my day on teaching them and making sure parents understand um, how they can best support the needs of their child and then making sure the child is um, kind of normalized to their environment and feel some sense of control um, during their stay. Uh, so, Caitlin, what kind of um, misconceptions do people have about your career? So I think a lot of times, a lot of um, healthcare professionals who see us on a day-to-day basis, for example, watching me ride on a bed with a child, blowing bubbles, playing with Play-Doh, um, you know, kind of getting to know the child and having fun with them, using yeah. play to kind of build rapport with them. Um, they think that that's what they do, we do every day, every hour. Um, and, or, oh, the Charlie socialists, they just bring toys to the children and make sure they're happy at all times, which is a small part of our job. Um, I've had many times where I am on my way to help support, um, you know, an end of life situation. So a child may have lost mm. a parent or a grandparent and I'm bringing paint, a carton of paint and canvases. And I'm in an elevator with a couple families or, professionals and they're like, oh, fun. It looks like you're going to go do some painting, but really I'm going to do handprints and legacy building and memory making for a child. Uh, So a lot of times I feel like the biggest misconception is we do use play as child life specialists to kind of help children feel, because that's the language of a child. Um, uh, But the play is so much more embedded in our assessment and our interventions to help them meet their psychosocial needs. So it's it's play, but it's so much more than that. Right. We use play to educate. We use play to prepare them for procedures. We use play to um, help them cope and see, kind of like what I was talking about earlier, some children don't have the language to express how they're feeling about getting a new diagnosis. But if we throw out some medical equipment and some dolls, I can see how they're feeling without them even saying a word. And so I think a common misconception is we're just like there to blow bubbles and play, but really it's, we're helping them cope through some pretty difficult medical, you know, experiences that they don't always have the language for. And so we really um, meet them where they're at and kind of help them understand um, how, how they can cope through their new illness or diagnosis. And we're able to use um, different modalities, for example, like play or therapeutic um, expressive activities. So, And um, what's some of the favorite parts of your job? There are so many favorite parts. Um, <laughs> I feel like 
Or let me ask you this. What's the most rewarding? What's the most rewarding part of your job? If you yeah. Know? So I think every day walking into the unit and knowing that I'm going to make some type of positive impact on a child or family is rewarding nonetheless. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm we're able to meet children at their most vulnerable and teens at their most vulnerable moment and see them kind of overcome these obstacles that they never thought they could overcome at first. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with like, obviously working together with doctors and nurses to help them overcome their hospitalization. But a lot of kid, kids come in face down, scared to look up mm. and, you know, either saying like, I'm scared, I'm scared or like crying and being able to meet them and help them understand, hey, you are okay and you are safe and you are here and we are going to help. I'm going to be your friend and we're going to get through this together um, alongside everyone. And, you know, just something simple as seeing them walk in terrified and leaving and not really wanting to leave, either being stuck in the playroom and saying like, I don't want to leave yet. Um, (laughs) That's pretty rewarding in terms of having a child come in with a trauma or something that is very... um, a lot of times it's very anxious and an unknown, frightening, scary experience. And then being able to help them and guide them through um, that is one of the most rewarding. And it happens every day. So, <laughs> I mean, being in a hospital is very scary. I mean, kids inherently don't think of a hospital as a fun place to be. No. And so obviously helping them through that transition and just getting through that mm-hmm. on their level, I think, um, obviously, is very powerful. Yeah. Is there... Is there a least favorite part of your job? Um, not really. <laughs> I really, really love my job. I've, I'm excited. I found something that doesn't feel like work. Um, I feel like I'm mm. just able to go in and pour out my heart to these children. But um, I think the least favorite part of my job, as I was kind of touching earlier, just not being able to see everyone, not always being able to see every patient. So not only do we work on our unit, but sometimes we have calls from radiology, which is our imaging department, or the emergency room has someone coming in and I have like four or five places I need to be at once. And if my colleague isn't there, just not being able to help everyone, just because I'm a super, like, I feel like a lot of people that go into child life, the child life field, we all want to help everyone and make everything a-okay. But I've found that I need to take a step back and know that i can't please everyone. Um, and I can only do my best. And if I do my best every day to see everyone I possibly can and help them, um, that's all that I can do, you know, you try to do your best you can yeah, with, with exactly. the resources and time you have, you know, mm-hmm. um, do you recommend this career for students and if, what kind of students really kind of go into this career? Yeah. So I absolutely recommend this career. I actually work with some high school students that are looking into it right now. Oh. Um, my husband works at a for some high school students in the Park Ridge, Illinois area, and a lot of them are, you know, searching for what's next for them. They're all seniors, or the ones I'm working with are seniors right now. Yeah. And like many, um, they've never heard of this career, and so I think that if you, as a, if you're a student out there and you have a passion for children and families, and um, just kind of advocating for the needs of children who are going through pretty stressful experiences, I would definitely look into this field as it's a way that you can help meet the child where they're at, help them through pretty difficult medical experiences and help them overcome um, a scary hospital experience and make it, make it positive. So 
Um, I think for students that don't know what they're doing, I feel like volunteering at a children's hospital kind to kind of see what, if you even would fit in a hospital setting, because I feel like a lot of times um, students are like, I want to work in a hospital and they see blood and they run the other direction. So um, this field, you are in every procedure that the child will face. So if you are a little queasy or if you don't think that you can watch those difficult medical procedures and be right by the child, I feel like this may not be the field for you um, just because you are going through the hospital with that child. So whatever they experience, you're going to see day in and day out. And it is really hard to see children get a new diagnosis that they're going to have for the rest of their life. So it's definitely not all, you know, rainbows and butterflies. Um, but I have seen the impact that obviously our field can have on um, a child. And a lot of people say like, how can you do this? How can you go into the hospital and help these pediatric patients suffer? Um, but I always say, I like to go in knowing that I at least help them instead of not helping them. So if anything, you're helping them, helping better their experience. And ease their suffering. Help- yeah. And helping develop like coping skills for later in life that they didn't have before. So we're helping alleviate their stresses and fears of the hospital, you know, firsthand and then helping them during those challenges that they face um, during a hospitalization. And then you're really helping them. They leave feeling empowered and more connected and more in control than ever. So mm-hmm. what do you think the future outlook is like for your profession? So I actually returned to work in a week from my maternity leave. Um, And I know that coronavirus has definitely changed a lot um, in our field just because some some child associates aren't able to go to bedside um, as much just for higher risk factors. So I think that on a day-to-day basis, our child life field or as child life socialists in the hospital setting, you have to kind of, you know, use more of our virtual modalities. So Zooming for procedure preparations or kind of equipping the parents to kind of a parent at the bedside. There usually is only one now at the bedside to kind of help their child through a procedure if you're not able to be there. But where I see child life going in the future, I, I mean, it's definitely growing in terms of private practice. So there are many um, private practice child life specialists that see a child and family after a traumatic hospital experience or after a trauma or injury to kind of continue that care. And um, because as child life specialists, we can't um, continue supporting post hospital stay, but yeah. we see a lot of child life specialists who are in dental offices, really? doctor's offices. So not just hospitals, but anywhere that a child may experience um, a stressful experience. We, um, these private practice child life specialists are able to kind of help guide, you know, patients or children in that sense through their experience as well. Oh, wow. I did not know about that. Yeah. Um, is you mentioned it before, uh, you know, when we were talking before the recordings mm-hmm. that your profession is pretty competitive. Yes. How, why do you say that? So a lot of child life specialists get um, certified, right? So our certification process There are many schools around the area that you, there's a whole pathway for becoming a child life specialist. And I feel like there are not enough jobs for the, um, basically it's very hard to find a job in your city um, just because depending on where you're at, 
you might have to move to get your first job as a child specialist before finding a job in your hometown, just because a lot of certified child specialists hospitals only, you know, let's say there's, there's two at my hospital, two child specialists at neighboring Chicago hospitals. There's maybe 10 to 15, but people stay in this field for once you're in it, you're kind of in it, I would say. And hospitals are also becoming more, they're seeing the positive impact that child life has had. So it's, it is, they are increasing jobs in terms of like getting more Charlie Swashes around. Um, but I think it's mostly competitive because there's a lot of males and females who are coming into this profession with, with the same passion, the same experiences. So I think as students, um, just going in and kind of taking in the student experience and um, for what it is and kind of learning and seeing, talking to um, your supervisors and seeing what got them to where they are today. And, you know, while you're a student, there's a lot of like overseas opportunities of working in Africa or Sweden through, it's called the Child Life United, but just kind of taking experiences as a student. So you're, when you're a professional, you're kind of seen as more competitive in terms of what you can provide. How challenging is the job market for child life specialists? So I think the job market for child life specialists are, as a student, you kind of have to go into it once you're certified. Um, As a child life specialist, you may have to take your first job elsewhere just because the hospitals in your area may already be fully staffed and not um, allowing extra, you know, they don't have a position for you. Um, But once you have your experience, like like two to three years of experience as a child life specialist, those hospitals are usually looking for experienced child life specialists. Caitlin, how'd you even get into this career? Like, were you, I mean, obviously a lot of people don't know about it. How'd you even, how this even come up on your radar? Yeah, so I um, was one of those students that did not know about it until after I graduated from college. After college? Um, Yes, so after my bachelor, so after my four-year college experience, I was, um, I graduated. What did you want to be when you were in? If you don't mind me backing up a little bit, what yeah, were you thinking about in high school then? In high school, I wanted to be either a teacher or like a social worker or child advocacy. So I was kind of all over the place, but I, I went to college to be a teacher. And then okay. I became very passionate about um, sociology and kind of the groups of people and working with vulnerable populations of children and families and did some work with a refugee organization in Chicago during my um, Mm. bachelor experience. So I knew that I didn't want to be a teacher because it was too, there were too many guidelines for what I wanted to do, like my work with children. Okay. And so I wanted to, so I decided to change my major to sociology. And during my studies, like I said, I was able to work with, um, some refugee children from through World Relief and kind of saw yeah. the impact that meeting a child during a very stressful time in a new country and kind of helping them um, assimilate and kind of learn, you know, what life is like and helping them through pretty difficult experiences. And I knew I wanted yeah. to do something in that regard. And I was actually, I first found out about child life through one of my best friends, Liz. She was a nurse at Lurie. She had just started working at Lurie as a nurse and mm-hmm. she saw a child life specialist on a daily basis. And we were- Oh, sorry. What is Lurie? 
Oh, I'm sorry. Larry Children's is one of um, is one of our major children's hospitals in Chicago, and so she saw child life specialists, and she knew that I was just still trying to figure out what I wanted to do um, post grad, and so she told me that she thought that I would be good at it and thought I had the right personality. She was like, those, those Charlie socialists, they remind me a lot like you. You're like, what is so that? I Googled it, you know, did the old Google search and oh, really? okay. um, sure. started volunteering as a pediatric volunteer at a, another children's hospital in Park Ridge, actually. And as soon, my first day as a volunteer, I was able to see the work that Charlie socialists have. And I knew that I just had this feeling like this is it. And it really? literally from that day on, I volunteered, I worked full time and worked full time. So I would go after my, you know, I worked from like four to 8 p.m. at the hospital, work seven to three. And it was through that volunteer experience that I knew that this was what I wanted to do. And that's what led me into kind of pursuing this field and going into get my certificate and, um, my field work and I see. So, so it was really after college that you said, I want to go into this. And then mm-hmm. uh, how long is schooling for child life services? So for schooling, you need a bachelor's or a master's in either child development or a human services related field. There's a list of. Um, so it's a graduate program then? It's you don't need a graduate degree for to become a certified child life specialist, but there are both bachelor's and master's programs for child life. Got it. And a few years ago, they were saying you need a master's, and but now it's just you need a bachelor's to start out with. Okay. Um, the Association of Child Life Professionals um, requires you to complete 10 required courses that cover, you know, your common um, play-based, it's like a play course, um, developmental course, grief course, you know, there's a lot of courses you have to take, um, or those 10. And then once you, once you complete the 10 and have a hundred hours of volunteer work at a pediatric hospital, you can apply for what's called an internship, which is your main field work experience for a child specialist. And once you complete the internship, which is usually, um, 600 hours of, um, unpaid experience, you can apply, you sit for an exam and then you can, you're certified. And so it's kind of, everyone comes from a different background, I'd say in terms of, you know, you can, you have me coming from a sociology background who has also taken these courses. You have education. So a lot of teachers come back to this field and, um, a lot of psychology, a lot of child development majors. So, it is really diverse in terms of where people are coming from, which I think is um, unique to child life. You know, if you're a doctor, you go through specific required coursework, um, as do we, but we all come from different backgrounds as well, which is unique. Before we set off, I'd like to go through some rapid fire questions. Okay. All right. Not even related, really, to, uh, to what we just talked about. Are you ready? Yes. All right. So just quick answers. You don't have to go into great detail. <laughs> What's your favorite junk food? Um, ice cream. TV shows or movies? New Girl. Oh, sorry. TV shows. TV shows. Yes, okay. yes, yes. Do you currently own any stuffed animals? No. No. Okay. Uh, as you've had a first child, would you want them to be the most popular person in their high school? Yes. <laughs> okay. That's the goal for your child now. 
<laughs> How long does it take you to get ready in the morning? Um, now that I'm a mom, not very long. <laughs> ah, some perspective now. <laughs> yes. huh? If you could ask God one question, what would it be? Um, I would ask him what other colors there are, because there are many other colors that our eyes can't see. Mm. And so I would like to know in heaven what the other colors will be like. Wow. That's different. Okay. <laughs> um, what's something you could eat for a week straight? A week straight? Tacos for sure. Really? Mm-hmm. I love tacos. I grew up on Taco Bell. <laughs> um, yeah. If you could push a button and make everyone in the world 7% happier, but it would also place a worldwide ban on hair styling products, would you push it? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And final question. If you were stranded on a tropical mm-hmm. island, what two things would you want with you? Um, let's see. Probably like a knife. A knife. Okay. Yes. And an endless supply of tacos. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I love that. Caitlin, where can listeners go to reach you and learn more about you? Yeah. So I actually have... Um, an Instagram account called Everyday Play. And I have I post some ideas, some um, interventions for students and trilateral specialists in the field, um, just as kind of a means to share what we're doing on the unit. Of course, I've been on maternity leave, so it, they're, you know, <laughs> look in advance for um, future posts. But um, you can find me there. You can find me, um, the North Shore um, University Health System website has Um, information about our program specifically, as well as a video regarding how we've implemented virtual reality into our services. Okay. Yeah, that's the two places you can really find me right now. All right. Caitlin, thank you so much for joining (laughs) us. I love love your energy and your passion. And I think, I just think a lot of people are going to hopefully open their world to this this career that you're doing. And I I think what you're doing is great in helping a lot of kids. So I think it's great. I would be happy to talk to any student who, you know, feel free to reach out to me if any student wants to go into this field. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Caitlin. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Health Careers with Dr. Martin. I really enjoyed talking to Caitlin about her career as a child life specialist. I especially liked how she talked about how there's a lot of different opportunities to work with kids as a child life specialist in not only the inpatient setting, but also as an outpatient setting as well. To learn more about this guest and other past guests, or if you'd like to reach out to me, visit healthcareerswithdrmarn.com or hcwithdrmarn.com. Catch you on the next episode.